Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Against the Grain podcast, where we discuss woodworking and the business of woodworking. This is episode number 17 for February 22nd, 2018. My name is Justin Napama, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Freddie Roman. Hello. And Guy Dunlap. How are you today? I am great. Freddie, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Good. Guy, what's going on with you? Oh, let's see. Um, last couple of weeks have been kind of rough. It's been very, very cold here. And that basically leaves me about four or five hours a day in the shop because I have to wait for it to heat up. By the time I get it heated up, I have to clean it up for my wife to come home, <laughs> put her car in the damn garage. Um, I, I did get a lot done. I got um, all the things done for my drawers. I ended up doing on the drawer fronts, I ended up doing bent laminations instead of trying to cut them out. And that really had to do with, I didn't have a good solid way to, um, they're six inches tall and trying to sand the, uh, bandsaw blade marks out of them. I don't have a tool to do that, which meant I would have to do it by hand. And I really didn't want to do that. So I ended up doing a bent lamination on them and, uh, getting the angles cut right. And, putting rabbits in them. It was kind of a, kind of a challenge. I did a lot of head scratching. So, and I lost some time too, cause we were, uh, last weekend, the woodworking show was here and I went there in an afternoon and then we had a, a meetup afterwards, which was pretty cool. And a lot of people showed up for it. We were pretty happy with it. Nice. So actually, um, uh, Jim Hamilton, AKA Stumpy Nubs mm-hmm. was there and he came to our, uh, our meetup too, which was kind of nice. Good. So that was pretty cool. He's a good guy. See anything good at the woodworking show? No, not really. Um, <clears throat> it was pretty small this year for us anyways. I, I don't know what it's like on the East coast or down South when they do it, but uh, it was pretty small. It's mainly just a, a marketplace. Okay. And I it's, wonder. It's almost all peach tree. You know, even the booth that says like Craig, it's all run by Peachtree. So the Craig guys aren't in there. The the one thing I miss was there was, there used to be a lot of small like boutique manufacturers that would come there. None of that this time it was kind of disappointing. I, I wonder if that has to do with the fact that the, everything's just on the internet now and easily accessible. So showing up to a show just doesn't, isn't profitable for them. Yeah, they, they have classes. Um, Chuck Bender was there. Roland Johnson, Mike, he- or I think, Mike, oh, I can't think of the guy's name from Wood Magazine, Jim Heavy, or Heavy, and um, Alex Snodgrass is always at those events for, for Carter. And they were doing some seminars, but they weren't really seminars. They were, you know, just general talks. It wasn't really in-depth stuff. But it was fun. The meetup was fun. Good, 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 good. As for me, uh, this week, last two weeks, has been woodworking, which is really nice. I've, I've missed it. Haven't been cutting any foam. So uh, I started working on a uh, like a coat bench where they hang it and then it has drawers underneath. So it's it's pretty, pretty cool because um, – I had to match the wainscoting 
in the house. And then it's three-sided where it fits into a little niche. So I, I can't put a way to put all that together so I can do everything here and then go on site and it more or less just slips all together and it'll be done. So Is that a painted piece? It is all painted, yeah. And I was... I started just prepping for sanding everything today. So that's that that long process of sanding and just making sure everything looks pretty good so that when I start putting paint on it, it just comes out nice and smooth with less work to it. So Cool. Yeah. So I've been not working on that. And then I don't know if we talked about it last time. I started working on the rocking chair, playing with the design of it. I saw the pictures of it on Instagram. You were, you were doing the seats. Yeah, I did the seat. I had drawn it uh, on paper, and then I went and cut out the piece of wood, and then it just seemed too small. So I added just added an inch and a half basically all around all the way around the whole thing, and that made it seem to fit a little bit better to everything. So after doing that, I then decided let me just get some scrap wood and do it off of that instead of actually doing it on the actual piece of wood for the seat. And that's where I'm at right now. Just played with the angles and the way everything will kind of look and should go together just to get a better direction. Oh, and by the way, Justin, thanks for helping me out figure out the uh, hinges for my doors. Oh, good. Did they work? Yeah. They, I think that well, I, haven't, I haven't drilled them in yet, but uh, you know, I just did a mock-up and uh, they're, they're going to work fine, I think. Good. So, good. For those that don't know, Guy was using Blum hardware and his, their magazine and website is very confusing. <laughs> that's that's an understatement. Yeah. If, any, if anyone from Blum is is watching or Bloom or however you pronounce it, you know, please clean that up. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Guy and ours conversation was very calm. <laughs> so, Freddie, what do you have going on? So the shop is getting somewhat more emptied. If if that makes sense, in regards to that, I had so many big pieces in the shop that. I they all have started leaving the shop, which is great. So last week I got a couple dining tables out. I finally finished that pine rustic dining table. Oh my god, I'm glad that's out of my life. And then I got a couple modifications of dining tables that are leaving, and we just the phone keeps ringing off the hook, and that's exciting. And I keep on bidding on more jobs. So every time something comes out, we got five or six items coming in. So we're kind of getting overwhelmed because people are, are starting to take vacations because they want to escape this cold weather. And then that leaves me trying to juggle everything, which is interesting and exciting. But, you know, everything's going well. No complaints. I'm excited that it's February. Spring is around the corner. Pitchers and catchers mm-hmm. are, are are in down <laughs> south. So it's all good. Why is that? Because you can't think of football anymore? Well, it just means that warmer weather is coming. <laughs> Yeah. Never mind. I was <laughs> kicking this. Oh, because the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't watch football anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the pine table mm-hmm. was that the customer just changing their mind? Yes, all the time. Okay. When we first started with that table, it was told to me that they want a rustic sawn mark table and i said to them well we can go the reclaim the actual reclaimed concept and they said well they don't want to spend that much money in lumber because around here like everyone now is trying to sell reclaimed lumber and basically what that means is the stuff that was once trash now they want 500 dollars a board foot and so that's out of the question 
And then she said, no, we'll, we'll do the sawn milled uh, pine. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, she says to me that the pine saw marks were a little bit too dark. So I would sand some away. And then it's like, it's still too dark. And then I'll sand some away. And then we reached a point that in the end, she never really wanted the saw marks, which made things a little frustrating to me because to keep the saw marks, I had to contour the breadboard ends to the shape of the top because nothing right. was flat. You know, I made everything as flat as possible, but uh, it wasn't perfectly flat. So it was so much more labor intensive doing it that way which in the end frustrates me because I would have just happily fed everything to the machines. I would have been even more profitable over the whole process and then not have to discuss change orders and while right. you know changing prices on deliveries because now it's snowing, it's icy, it's more labor intensive, it doesn't fit in the van now, it's now I can't leave the back open as easy. So it's a domino effect. But I'm happy to say it's out of my shop. The, the designer is very happy with my, the process and the way I stayed very professional through all this. So in the end, it worked out. Mm -hmm. Good. Mm -hmm. You just, sometimes you get customers. That's, that's it. And that's, well, that's yes. part of the whole learning process. So, you know, because I, I, I'm going through that same thing with that trim and it just, I mean, it drug out for six months just trying to figure out a simple profile that doesn't, hasn't really changed any, but it's what they want. Mm -hmm. And it, I had a great talk with the customer the other day when I stopped over there and she more or less just said, I'll pay you for your time. I don't care what it costs, which it's rare. It's rare you get that, but they want what they want. So in the end, you just, it's worth biting your tongue sometimes. Going back to that great mm -hmm. table, it, you know, there's now this design fee that I put into it. Like if you have no clue what you want, it's now going forward saying that this is what we decided. This is what we kind of agreed upon because we don't know exactly which way we're going to take this. And if we're in the middle of the process of the project and things can't drastically change without a cost associated to it, then we have to have a change order. And if you don't agree to this, mm -hmm. then I can't work with you. Right. And it's, I go through it the same as you. You gave this lady a sample showing her what she's getting and everything, and they liked it, right? Mm -hmm. And they gave you a sign-off on it. Yep. Yeah. And you, you're, you get to this point. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the world go round. <laughs> yep. All right. <laughs> this week's minute is Justin's phone minute. <laughs> it's a little, little surprise from the uh, uh, Freddy's structure document. Justin's phone minute. <laughs> yeah, Freddy's document. Yeah, Justin's phone minute. Uh, so we. I don't even need a minute to tell you, tell you anything. It's just. If you get the opportunity to cut foam, do it. <laughs> it pays well sometimes. <laughs> so did you get an order yet or no? Uh, I did get a confirmation last week that we're going ahead with everything nice. for the third load. They were still waiting for it to come in okay. before they sent it to me. So I think this week I get it. Awesome. It's really good. They're good to work with. It's working well. So, All right. Next thing on the list is... Our Patreon and the milestone we just hit. What we're going to be doing is a uh, Patreon or a patron-only episode once a month for $5 and up patrons. And we've already picked a, a subject of our next discussion, or our first discussion, I guess you could say. We are going to discuss stack and brick lamination. So that should be a, that should be a lot mm -hmm. of fun, I think. And uh, 
we're also getting close to our second goal too, which hopefully we'll, we'll hit by next episode, which is a, a monthly hangout with patrons, $10 and above. So, and we do have some new patrons since last time we talked. Um, we've got Carrie Darden, uh, Matt from MWA Woodworks is a good guy. I know Matt and Andre Patotsky. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And we also had a gentleman who gave us a one di- one-time donation, a very generous one-time donation. I want to make a special mention of, which is, uh, Larry Grobner. Uh, thanks so much, Larry. And, uh, Thanks, everybody. So, thank you. So, yeah, I, I, I would like to discuss our, our top patrons. Carrie Darden is also one of our new uh, patrons. He's, he's one of our top donors. Uh, Eric Mormon, Cole Roberts, Sean Raymakers, John Ross, Stephen Karinsic. Uh, I butchered that one. Sorry, Stephen. And Luke Hatterberg. Thanks, guys. Thank you. One other thing was, Freddie, you want to talk about what you mailed out? Yes. So the stickers have all been mailed out. Even in Germany, their stickers are arriving. And people out of the United States have sent me messages saying that they have received their stickers. So keep your eyes peeled, as well as anyone over, I think, the $20 mark is getting a shirt shortly. And then the other thing is that last episode 16 for plywood, uh, we just wanted to reiterate that there is a plywood grading uh, chart on our website. So just head over to the atgpodcast.com and you'll find it there underneath the episode. There's a link in the episode description. There's a lot, a lot of good information in that, that yeah, sheet. Tons, tons of information on that. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's almost as confusing as the Bloom catalog. <laughs> well, I don't think it's as confusing, but it, there's just a lot there, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like the Bloom catalog. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. all right, time for Freddie's restoration minute. Yay. Again. The restoration minute for this week. You guys ready for this? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, for repairs, everyone seems to be like, you know, if it's broken once, I must use the most strongest and best adhesive as they possibly could. And often people would think that's yellow glue, but really what- Not Gorilla Glue? Not Gorilla Glue, you know. Even though I must say, I must say Gorilla Glue is starting to peak its evil head a little bit more. And um, we're happy to say that every single one of them has failed. So please do us a favor and don't bother (laughs) using it. Um, I, I still don't know you know what gorilla glue is good for even though i will say that craig tbo uh from san diego which i always butcher his last name uh says he does use it a lot in veneering which i find that amazing so but epoxy really is what's being commonly used a lot and the issue with epoxy is if it fails, which at times it does because they either put too much clamping pressure on the piece or they don't put enough epoxy or, you know, it's starving the joint, ends up failing. And then what most people think they can do is, oh, I just put more epoxy on. It should be perfectly fine. Or, oh, okay, the epoxy must be old. I'm just going to use yellow glue or whatever they have on hand. And the issue with that is if you use epoxy to be able to re-glue a piece back together again, 
the wood needs to be actually on the surface, not the adhesive. Basically, what I'm trying to imply is is that there isn't an adhesive that will stick to each other unless the wood is perfectly cleaned and scraped. So epoxy may not always need to be necessary, as well as it may not be a good idea just to glue epoxy on top of epoxy because it's just not going to bond. It may feel like it's bonding, but really the joint in the area that's in the mortise is not going to adhere properly. And over time, it's just going to weaken. So really, all you're doing is making my job harder because you didn't do it properly. So in ideal world, you'll not use epoxy. Is there a general rule of thumb for how much room should be allowed for epoxy? Hmm. The gap? How much room should be allowed for epoxy? So so like uh, yellow glue, you just more or less put as much as you want mm-hmm. and clamp the hell out of it and you'll get whatever you need in there, right? Yes. Whereas epoxy, you're saying you can't really do that? With epoxy, you have to be very careful that you don't put too much clamp pressure in because the joint will fail. So usually you want just moderate. You don't have to like really crank down on the clamps and you really don't want to see a ton of squeeze out. Why, why will the joint fail? Does the epoxy not soak into the fibers of the wood like yellow glue does? Correct. It's a, okay. it's a chemical reaction that's occurring. Mm-hmm. Because usually when you repair when you repair a joint, the end grain usually is filled with the previous glue. And you can scrape all the glue off the tenons, but it's really hard to remove the glue from the end grain unless you're going to cut it off to get fresh new wood. And usually that's not what you want to do. Usually you want to keep that as long right. as possible. So there's always issues with proper saturation of epoxy. And you're more dependent on the chemical reaction. Makes sense. So is there a gap gone? Is there a gap too big to be filling with epoxy? You know, that's a great question, Justin. And I, and the answer is no, it's uh, usually because you can, you can use filler. If you say, Oh Jesus, I'm going to be pouring a lot of epoxy in here. You can thicken the epoxy after you've coated everything with just regular epoxy without filler. And you can use sawdust or any fillers that West System offers. And that gives you good thickness and that bonds really well to the wood and ensures that everything's going to be rock solid. So really there is no big gap. It just comes down to the wood more or less being very clean or bare? Yes. Okay. Because the wood is it wood acts like a box of straws. There's a whole bunch of vessels, and the vessels right. is what sucks it up. And then you're dependent on the chemical reaction. Cool. That's what I got for today. Good. Right. That was a good one. All right. Today's show. Kind of figured we'd follow up a little bit with last week's show, but along the lines of veneering. Instead of just the plywood, we figured let's talk about the veneer itself. So let's get into it. Guy and Freddie, you guys do a lot of veneering. A lot more than me. I do it, but I I feel like I struggle through some of it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this with you too, just to get uh, your techniques and a good a good place to start. I think is, is something you just mentioned there, Justin. You said you you struggle in a few areas. Where do you yeah. struggle at? Because I'm sure a lot of the people out there may have the same issues you do. My my biggest struggle with veneer is edge joining it. So mm-hmm. when I put two pieces together. That, that is usually my biggest struggle, where I fight it the most. How I get a straight edge, how I put the two... I mean, I tape it together. It is what it is with the tape. But just getting a straight line to veneer it. 
Now you're, you're mostly using like 16th inch veneer, correct? No, I use, uh-huh. I use commercial veneers and I'll use the 16th. The 16th stuff is easier because you, I'll literally just joint that on the joiner. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thinner stuff is where I run into more issues, I think. I run that on the joiner. <laughs> <laughs> the thin stuff, really? So do yes. you just put a bunch of it together? Yeah, I'll stack like three or four sheets of it together. Uh-huh. And I have a call that I use, okay. which is just two strips of plywood, uh-huh. uh, Baltic birch plywood that I've countersunk and bored a hole through. And I put a bolt through it mm-hmm. with little wing nuts. And I put the pieces in there. I make sure they're all flat on flat as can be on the bottom. Tighten the wing nuts down. I run, run it up against the, the fence of my joiner and just run it across three or four times. And that works really well. Yeah. All right. Now, what about when you're doing like an eight foot long piece? That's where I have issues. Like if it gets over four or five feet, joining that big of a piece. This last time I last time I did it, I had to make a new one because I was doing some pieces that were six feet long. Okay. I just made longer calls. So what I what happens in the middle? Because that's where I still get flex then. I, I've done it this way, and I've the issue I've always had was in the middle. You would a six foot span. There's no tension on that. Mm-hmm. Well, you kind of have to as you're feeding it through. There's a technique to it because it does when you, you you tighten down the ends of the the uh, call. Mm-hmm. It is going to bow out in the middle a little bit, and it's just a matter of technique. As you're as you're going up against the joiner fence, you have to hold it against the joiner fence to, to make sure it's not bowing out mm-hmm. there and you just push it through. Not this last video I posted, but the video before that on my, my YouTube, I show exactly how I do that. Yeah. Okay. So, it, so for, for really long joints, I do have, believe it or not, a seven foot long shooting board and but really what I've started to do is I started to use the track saw with its finest blade from Festool. And I lay a board on top of that and then I put the track on top of the board and I just cut it right through and it's 100% splintered free and I can seam them up with tape together and they're perfectly straight. Hmm. That's a good idea. It is a good idea. I, I've done the shooting board and then done it with a hand plane, but eventually the plane starts eating into the shooting board mm-hmm. and then I'm fighting that. The that's, that's other thing I've done is with a white side spiral bit, I basically took two pieces of plywood on top of each other and uh, I used a flush trim, which it had a bearing on the shaft and on the top, and I flush trimmed it to the plywood and I essentially joined the veneer at the same time. I've tried that too, and yeah, had tear out or something before. Hmm. Huh. Okay, I guess obviously it depends on your species material. There is a concern there. Yeah, yeah, but you know, interesting. And maybe I'm doing something wrong, but I've tried a lot of these techniques with limited success, and that that's why um, I, I more or less continue to go back to the shooting board with mm-hmm. a hand plane, and then it gets it close and then I just keep hand planing it in a certain spot so I can get everything to kind of go together well. But I just feel like there's a better technique than what I'm doing. Well, honestly, what I what I do I'm, is I would lay one piece of veneer down if, since I'm doing hammer veneering or I'm using high glue. 
I lay a, the other piece that's going to be right next to it, butted against it. I overlap them on a line that needs to be the seam. And I saw both mm-hmm. veneers at the same time peel away the excess that I don't want and then lay down the veneer that was sticking up. And every time it's seamless. Are you talking on a shorter piece or like, you know, Justin's talking eight foot long ones? No, I've done eight feet long. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've never, I've never done a piece of an ear that long. I think the longest I've ever done is about six. Yeah. Six and a half. Yeah. A lot of what I do is eight foot stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Freddie, is that with shop made veneers though? You're doing that? Um, I don't use anything thinner than a 32nd. So it's, if I can find old veneer, great. If not, I am using shop veneer and I do both. Um, with the veneer saw for a 32nd and 16th. Right. Mm-hmm. You're using but, a veneer saw and 16th inch thick veneer? Yeah, I have. Now, and there, are certain situ- <laughs> there are certain situations, you know, usually you don't have to, but say something like it's a burl or it's um, the grain orientation kind of goes crazy and I need to make sure that everything is like flawless and I, can, I need to make sure that seam is just like disappears. I have just sawn right through both of them at the same time. Yes. It sounds crazy, but it, it's three or four strokes with a traditional French veneer saw, and it's right down. Another way I do it for smaller pieces, maybe three foot and under, is I'll take a, a couple pieces of plywood and I'll put the, the piece of veneer in there. You know, this is, you know, we're talking uh, 42nd of an inch thick veneer. Mm-hmm. Put it between the two, and then I have this, what I call my, my beam and it's just a, a long piece of wood that's probably about two inches square. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've got sandpaper on one side of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'll take that and I'll shoot the edge of the veneer with the sandpaper mm-hmm. on a flat surface. Yeah. And that works extremely well, especially if you're working with something like a crotch or burls, mm-hmm. where it's really easy to tear that, that stuff out. Yeah, it works phenomenally well. Now, the other thing I've I've learned from Mister Fortune up in Canada is he basically makes a, he takes a piece of plywood, puts two bolts on each end, longer than the the plywood's longer than what you need the veneer to be cut. So even if it's eight feet long or ten feet long, he still uses plywood, and then mm-hmm. he has a support beam that goes on top. He clamps it all down, and then he has a little holder that he puts a single-edge razor, the old-fashioned single-edge razor that you shave your face with, in this holder, and he projects a veneer out as much as he needs to cut both edges perfectly square, and he runs this a few times over the veneer, and let me tell you, that thing cuts amazing. I thought hmm. I thought for sure, like, oh, this is just a gimmick. But, you know, fortune and gimmick don't go hand in hand. And it works amazing. So I'll, I'll take a picture of that, send it to you guys, and I'll put it on okay. the uh, ATG um, IG account. Instagram. Yeah, Instagram account. Okay. Cool. Nice. Now, I've, I've used just a razor blade to cut it before, mm-hmm. and I've had some good success and sometimes not so good. And I think that has mostly to do with the, the species. Not necessarily the technique. Do uh, do either of you guys use veneer softeners? Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I figured you did, Freddie. I was wondering about you, Guy. Yeah. That's another one. I've never used veneer softener 
and there's times when I know I've needed to, and I just fought it. But <laughs> where do you get your veneer softener, or do you make it? I personally make it, and I can tell you the formula here. So yeah, so the the deciding factor if I'm going to use softener is I put a piece of I put a dime on the piece of veneer. If I see a gap underneath the dime that like it's like a thirty second to a sixteenth, then I'm flattening it with a veneer softener. So the softener that I use is the one that was taught to me at school. We have a quart volume. That's the volume that we're making. We mix mm-hmm. 50% denatured alcohol or grain alcohol and 50, 50% water. And then two tablespoons of high glue and glycerin. Glycerin you can buy at any uh, mm-hmm. pharmacy. You mix those all up yeah. and then you put them in a spray bottle and you spritz away. Now, the reason why you use alcohol versus just water is that the alcohol breaks down the water molecules significantly faster. And then if you're using crotch or highly figured woods, the high glue keeps the fibers intact and the glycerin is what really does the softening. So that's Mm. one system. There's now commercial ones out there, which I don't know about. You- yeah, that's that's what I use. It's commercially available. I bought a couple gallons of it, geez, probably three years ago, and I'm I'm still on the first gallon because it lasts forever. Right. Uh, and I think it's just water and glycerin is the mix. I could be wrong on that. I probably am. But and you, uh, you're just misting the surface. You're not saturating it. I saturate. I can. Uh, I, I saturate also. I use a brush. Oh, okay. I can tell you I can tell you how I flatten it. So again, this goes back to school. We take like Baltic birch or MDF, uh, perfectly flat material is what we want. And we take that one layer, we put three layers of newsprint, not newspaper, but just newsprint. Three layers, then the veneer, three layers, then the veneer, three layers in the veneer. And then in the last piece, you put another piece of MDF on top of that and you clamp the whole thing with Jorgensen clamps or big deep clamps. And we change the paper three times a day because we want the paper to wick away all the moisture and keep the veneer perfectly flat. We leave the veneer in this clamping position until the moment that we're going to use it. Because then it's very pliable, easy to work. It's also easy to hand plane. Rarely does it tear out. And it's easy to seam up and easy to go ahead and hammer veneer or, or vacuum bag. Yeah, but you have to you have to do that for a couple of days. You have to make sure that the veneer is like completely dry. Because if it's still moisture and it, it'll shrink after you put it, put it on. Correct. I've had that happen. Uh, I do it basically the same way. I, I, have a, I have a bunch of unprinted newsprint on a roll. And I'll put it up, you know, I don't put three layers down. I usually just put one layer down. I put the veneer on there, wet both sides with the brush, put newsprint down, you know, and put like, you know, four or five, you know, however many stacks of, of veneer I'm going to put in there. Another piece of MDF on top of it. And I usually just weight it down. A couple of times I've put it in my vac bag too mm-hmm. to help keep it flat. Um, but I just weigh it down replace the paper two or three times a day. And it takes two or three days for that, to, for that to go. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't flat. Sometimes you do. Freddie, you said the, uh, high glue. Go ahead. Does it matter what type of high glue? 
It all depends how you're gonna uh, how you're gonna apply it. If you're gonna hammer veneer, then you have to use high glue, hot high glue. Well, I'm sorry. Oh. Let me re- for for your softener. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. Nope. Hot old brown glue, just, just Franklin doesn't matter. If I have, it, it should be in liquid form. In other words, not the granulars. granulars. Yes, it should be in gr- uh, liquid form. Correct. Okay. So, do you want to talk about where you guys get your veneer from? Yeah, I can do that. Go ahead, go for it. Most of my veneer comes from Berkshire Veneer. Mm. I once met, I once met Ben, mm-hmm. and just have always dealt with him. And then one time, I ordered something, and he said, "Call certainly Woods," and that's what I did. So, they're the only two I've ever bought veneer from. What about you? So for me, I've ordered veneer from Berkshire Veneer. Uh, certainly would B and B rare woods. Um, there was, uh, there's a place in Atlanta that I ordered veneer from. They have old stock. I can't remember the name of it right off the top of my head. And, um, after that, I just go to like estate sales and, and try to raid them for old veneer. That's... Is the reason you're calling all these different places just because you're looking for a certain thing? Well, you know, that's a great question. I don't use one forty second of an inch veneer. You know, um, I that's just too thin for what I do, and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to stress. I want it to actually lay down like veneer, like wood. And when we think mm-hmm. inferior quality of, of veneer, that's when the inferior comes in for me. So I don't go anything under thirty second. Usually it's three sixty fourths or up. I usually try to buy. And the reason being is because I can hand plane, I can scrape, I can sand. I have no fears, and it just acts a lot better. So I usually call these places because I'm also looking for thickness, but also kind of grain pattern and also to inquire if they have anything that's old kind of inventory, old growth, because I like to try to match what's pre-existing on the pieces I'm veneering. Okay. What about you, Guy? I've bought a couple times from Certainly Wood. I buy quite a bit from um, veneersupplies.com. Okay. And this is all, you know, your your regular forty second of an inch veneer stuff. Oh my god! Mainly because mainly because since I since I bought a vacuum bag probably about three years ago, I used to do a lot of veneering with just shop saw mm-hmm. veneer, and you really didn't, you know, the the vac bag was a would have been nice, but I just didn't have a use for it. And I I would just use melamine and calls and just clamp it all down. It worked fine. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have tried that with veneer that thick or that thin. Um, I have. It doesn't work. It's very yeah, hard we, to make it work. Let me put it that way. Yeah, it would be sliding around too much. And I, I wouldn't know if the, the, the seams were right and all that. So, but with the vac bag and the, uh, the 42nd of an inch veneer, I have supreme confidence in it. Now. So, yeah. so is it time for guys vacuum bag minute? Is that my, are we there? We can we can jump right to my back bag back minute. Back minute, bring it on, guy. <laughs> this this might be in the wrong spot spot in the show. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the I've I've had a vac bag for about three years, and I started off with a um, one that works on a Venturi system along with a compressor, and it was a shop made one. So as the air is whizzing by, it draws air out of the vac bag. Basically, is what it does, mm-hmm. and that work well enough, I guess. I didn't have a very good air compressor. You have to have a pretty strong air compressor for that. So then I built another one 
with the rebuilt vac pump and I was getting about three CFM draw on it. And it worked, it worked really well. Um, and I didn't have any problems with it at all. And that was, again, that was a shop made one. Was that the, uh, is it Joe Woodworker or something? Mm -hmm. Veneersupplies.com, Joe Woodworker. I have that one too. I built, it works really good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Joe Garlaski. is it worth buy, is it worth buying um, or just make like making your own or is it just worth buying one ready to go? It wasn't that hard. It really yeah. is. Yeah, you make it in a day. Yeah, you buy. He sells a lot of the parts that you mm-hmm. need to buy. You just buy those and then put it together. He sold the pump yeah. and all that. You just buy it in a kit and put it together. I think with the with the reconditioned pump, it's maybe a couple hundred bucks. Because the reason why I'm asking is I don't have one, and every time. I'm thinking about buying one. I say I can just hammer veneer it or put it under calls with old brown glue. But I'm reaching the point now that I think it's time. Yeah. The the only disadvantage that I had with the shop made ones is that they leak. Um, it just doesn't seem matter what you do, there's going to be leaks in the darn thing. Huh. Mine doesn't. And, but... Mine did. Okay. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> um, and, you know, I put, I went from, you know, um, Teflon tape to pipe dope to, you know, a lot of different things to try to get it to seal right. And it, it, the, the last one I made didn't leak that bad, but it still leaked. And it, I just didn't like it. So I reached out to, um, Daryl at VacuPress, mm-hmm. uh, who's, <laughs> he's an awesome guy. And, we, we talked for quite a while, uh, for a couple of weeks and we, we figured the best system for me and I got a system from him and I've been, you know, real happy with it ever since. I'm real glad it's, 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 it's a very, it's very small. It fits on a very small footprint in my workbench. Now, um, I use it for, for clamp pads, the vacuum bag I use for all sorts of things, not just veneering. It's, one of the most handy tools in my shop. If I, if my shop was big enough, I'd like to have just like a, a table set up with it right. all the time where I could just slide stuff in there, hit a button and I agree. Go. Um, it's, that's not the blue one, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the blue okay. one. That's the one I have. Uh, and I was given mine by a, a friend of mine that had passed away and he gave me it or his wife gave me it. So, which I, I have mm-hmm. the shop made one which works pretty good. And then I got this one and it is, it, it might move almost twice mm-hmm. as much air. It does. My, yeah. It, so it's just nice. It turns yeah. on. With the, with the, 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 the larger pump is basically, you know, the, the one I have now is six CFM versus three CFM on the old one. And I want to start using a, a four by eight yeah. bag mm-hmm. to do larger pieces. Um, the three will work. It just takes longer yep. for the air to evacuate out of mm-hmm. the bag. Yeah. And that can, while you're trying to do all this, it can, I don't say it's, there's a chance where it can, there, you can have some problems. Um, so I just like the larger pump cause it just like, you know, even a four by eight bag, it only takes a, you know, 15, 20 seconds to evacuate all the air and you're, you're in business. With mine that was given to me, uh, he actually gave me a, I guess you want to call it distribution block as well. So I can mm-hmm. vacuum, I can vacuum bag up to four bags at one time with that. 
Not yeah, that I would yeah, do them all at the same time, but you can do it, and then I can mm-hmm. start another one, open the valve, open another one, and then keep them all vacuumed at the same time. But I have, I think I have two four by eight bags, and then two four by four bags, and like I said, mm-hmm. I was half of that what stuff I was given. So that's great. That's why I'm able to have it all. But it's, you know, the, it, it's worth getting, Freddie. If you ask me, it does a lot of stuff. No, it is worth getting it, and I will be purchasing it probably this year because I I have some loose bag applications that I need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like I said, I I I find all different ways of using mine. I use uh, the 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 pump, like I said, with the vacuum clamps, mm-hmm. quite a bit, and it's it's fantastic. Uh, not to jump off subject, but to keep on this subject, um, I the idea that you had where you were clamping pieces of wood together with it, even that mm-hmm. I've yes. used that now a couple of times and it's just a great idea. No clamps. Yeah. You just yes. put pieces in there and it's vacuums down overnight or something. Yeah. The, the other thing is that, uh, it's just the amount of pressure is even on it. Yeah. It's, there's less chance of it, you know, especially when you're doing veneer pressing, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. very little chance of getting a, a, an air bubble inside the veneer that way. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and definitely I'll throw this out there that you want to put calls on both sides. I, every time I tried doing it with the, the breathing mesh on top yep. of the veneer, you get imprints. So, yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I've learned that the hard way. Yep. Same um, here. call on both sides. E- even uh, just eighth inch plywood is a, is a good enough call for at certain mm-hmm. applications. It'll work. So, um, yeah. you know, the, the other thing I like to add is cause I've seen tons of videos on YouTube, not guys, but others, um, <laughs> that, uh, they always say, oh, we get leaks in our bags. Cause you know, we always, you know, have a hard time clamping or, or, you know, sliding the platen in place. But what mm-hmm. people don't understand is you're not really supposed to put a square platen or a call in there. Like all the edges should be radiused over and domed over because there's so much suction. Anything sharp really can create yeah. pinholes. Yeah. So it's 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 best to take advantage of the capability of take that extra minute, round everything over, make sure everything's nice and smooth and you're ready to go. So yeah. uh, I, I will say this too, Guy, and I'm sorry to cut you off. I, or I was going to say, Guy, do you do this as well? But I have a, uh, I guess, a platen that goes in the bag. Mm-hmm. And then I do all my gluing up on another platen that I'm able to then slide in on top of that one. With Then oh. there's a a top piece that goes on top of the uh, the, the substrate or whatever on the, the backer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I, I put, technically, I have three layers of calls. So there's the one that's in the bag that just keeps the bag flat. So I can then slip another piece of melamine that I'm gluing everything on top of right inside of that. And then I have a piece on top of that. Yes, that's what I And do. it just makes my life easier. Yeah. It, uh, now, I've got two different types. Actually, I have three different bags that I use. I've got a two-foot square, a four-foot square, and a four-by-eight. Mm-hmm. Now, on the, the, the four-by-eight is which I use most of the time, and it's nice because it has um, – it's open at both ends. Yeah. So if I only want to use like three feet of it or whatever, I can just do that. But the thing about it is, is the – hose attaches from underneath not on top yes so what you do is you've got this this piece of melamine so i've got a a four by four and a three by four sheet that i use 
I drilled a hole in it and there's a, uh, uh, PVC nipple that fits into that hole mm-hmm. that goes on the bottom. And then on the top is just a cross hatch or a, um, pattern that I've cut with the track saw where there's little, uh, Grease. you know, saw curves yep. in there. Yes. All I do is I slide that into the bag. I put the nozzle up underneath through the bag into the platen. And then I just put a call on top of that. Now for the call material, I use masonite. And I'll get to why I do that in a second. So I'll put a call of masonite on it. I'll put the piece on it. And then on top of it, I'll use masonite also. And the reason for that is what you were talking about before, Freddie, sharp edges. That stuff, and it's larger than the the piece I'm veneering. Mm-hmm. So it, it bends and is very soft and doesn't poke holes in my bag. Mm-hmm. For my my calls, I use melamine. And again, I go over it with like an eighth or eighth inch bit to round it over and everything. And, and then the actual top of my bag can be anything. So it'll be the uh, half inch sheet of melamine, which is just there in the bag to keep the bag to its form. And then another sheet of melamine that I'm actually doing all my uh, pieces of veneer that I'm gluing up on does mm-hmm. that sound right and then there's the actual call that the vacuum bag is clamping everything in between on mm-hmm. on top of and that's how i i do it i've used uh masonite i tend to like to use things that glue won't stick to so there is home depot sells it masonite with like a lacquer finish on it so i'll yeah. use that sometimes or like i said the melamine because just glue doesn't stick to it you're able to just scrape it off and reuse everything what what I use is the particle board with with a laminate on each side, because okay. even for the platen, that's what I use, just so it's easy to clean up. And even though I don't own one, I use the one that's cool when I need to. Um, okay. And that's every that's what we always use, and that's what I use. Yeah. Yeah, and on the 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 masonite that I use, I just put some paste wax on it. Mm-hmm. Glue doesn't stick to it. Okay. Usually, I put packing tape. Because it's the same thing. It's yes. like waxy paper. Yeah, that's a very good one too. Mm-hmm. So you guys, so Justin, you use forty second commonly as well. Veneer? Uh, it depends. Okay, I, I like to. I I'll either use sixteenth or the forty second. Mm-hmm. Um, quite frankly, I didn't even know that I could buy thirty second veneer, and now I'll ask for that. But oh yeah, no, usually, there's usually when I call up Berkshire, I just say, "Hey, I want this in sixteenth. Do you have it?" And then he shows me what he has in 16th. So, well, I think that's where people need to realize I love Ben, but you know, certainly wood has a thick, special thickness section, and there's a mm-hmm. ton that's there. And it's also good to call them and be like, you know, do you have anything that's not on inventory or mm-hmm. showcase? Because, you know, they have old inventories like, oh, yeah, we actually have some of that. And we don't think it's good enough to sell, but we'll show you what we have and maybe it'll work perfectly fine for you. Yeah. I, I will say that. Uh, like I said, I've dealt with certainly veneer one time, very good to deal with. Same with Ben. It's talk to them, tell them what you're doing, ask them what they have because they will steer you in a direction. They're very helpful. Either one of them. Yes. Now, what, what about shops on veneers? How often do you do that? Uh, if I've done it once or twice, that's it. Mm -hmm. I have it. Hmm. I have it because I'm not doing, I'm usually doing a sheet of stuff 
So that's why I call up and just order what yeah. they'll have. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's either a ton of it or it's uh, I'm not doing that much, so I'm not going to install something. I haven't yeah. had that opportunity yet where I needed to do that. Um, uh, so there was a, there was a time that's all I used I because sh- I couldn't use I couldn't I didn't have a bag so I couldn't really use the forty second of an inch so I shop saw near everything. Well, now I got all these bandsaws. You should be able to do it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like to use a lot of of shop saw veneers or or um, you know when I go to like to certainly wood like I try to get. 16th they even have like eighth depending on the on the species or like 114th or 112th and i i like to use that thickness because i it's workability and i'm doing a lot of entry door restoration of of late and that all that stuff seems to be about an eighth of an inch thick so lately i've been buying a lot of solid thick wide stock and uh i just resaw a lot of it myself and especially since i like you to dabble in marquetry on my own time. Mm-hmm. Everything I do for marquetry is uh, all sawn veneers. So I, you, lately I've been purchasing like a variety of different exotic woods, a variety of different colors, and just sawing them all up in veneer. Do you, uh, you, you then, do you tooth them once? That's a great question. For the toothing plane? So anything that's a 16th of an inch or 364th of an inch and thicker, I tooth the veneer always. If it's a 32nd or thinner in thickness, I do not. I also tooth my substrate. What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you tooth it with? I tooth it with a toothing plane, which basically means it's a blade that has saw-like teeth at the end of its tip, and those create serrations in the wood. Now, if you don't have a yeah. toothing plane, then you can use a coarse hacksaw like stuck in a block of wood, which I'll then take a picture of and put it online. And you can use that as your toothing plane. There's people out there that would say also that you can just use like a hundred grit and rub it all over the place. But you know, toothing plane. Yeah, I use I use like I use like mm-hmm. eighty grit. Now, do you know why it's worth worth toothing? One. No, please, please. Tell you know us. the reason? Okay. So when you create these cavities, what occurs is a lot of glue has a capability of penetrating these cavities, especially with high glue. And as high glue shrinks, it draws the veneer down. So it's actually doing you a favor. It helps draw the veneer down to the substrate. So all the cavities get filled, and you could go ahead and hammer or vacuum bag. And once that's done, you still need the glue to harden because you can't just leave it in the bag and have it cure. So with, with a lot of modern adhesives, they don't really draw into the surface, so that's why you should tooth it. And with high glue, it really sucks it all down, guaranteed that there's not going to be any hollow spots. Okay. Can you do that, though, with uh, yellow glue or no? Yes, you can do that with yellow glue. It, it works better. It doesn't work as good as high glue right. because yellow glue doesn't have that drawing down. It kind of just, like, levels off. Right. See, I've, I've never hammered veneer to anything. I've never used high glue for veneer. I've always used cold press veneer glue or urea resin glue. Right. I'm a huge fan of high glue. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's a, it's a, it's, especially if you start getting to the 42nd of an inch stuff, it's just like, I don't have to worry about bleed through. I don't have to open, worry about open time. I don't have to worry about cleanup. Everything's just like easy peasy. Mm. Yeah. You know? 
Now, if I did, you know, like exterior doors, then, you know, I do you and the veneer is really thick and I do use type on three for that. Now, uh, the other thing before I forget, you can use epoxy mm -hmm. to glue down veneer. And even with bleed through, it's perfectly fine because then it acts like a piece of phenolic. It's absolutely amazing yeah. what you can do with it. Technically, that's your boat building. Basically, that's what they use. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we've talked about this before. Uh, the glues. Mm -hmm. I've said that I've used I've used yellow glue, but a majority of the time I use uh, urea glue. What about you guys? Uh, I'm I'm using urea glue probably the bulk of the time. Yeah. Um, simply because it leaves such a hard glue line. I don't have ever have to worry about the, the, the veneer moving, especially on, if I'm using a thicker veneer, when I'm using shop sawn veneer, I'm using the urea resin glue because I'm afraid that the wood's going to move and crack and it helps hold mm -hmm. it down to the substrate. If I'm using 42nd of an inch, which is 90% of the time I am using a, a cold press veneer glue, which is, you know, just regular PVA glue. Um, I used to use the Unibond, the old Unibond, because that had a lot of um, urea formaldehyde mm -hmm. in it. Ever since they changed that formula, I am not a fan. So all I mainly do now is um, old brown glue by Patrick Edwards, and I use... Type on three. Why type on three instead of type on two, or regular type on? Uh, I just like, I just like the waterproof, okay. and usually, that you know, that's just it's the thickness of it's really good to work with. It's not too much water, I believe. There's less water, and I can use it in different cold conditions. So it all depends on what the piece is going to be uh, used for its application, and usually. Majority of indoors, it's high glue, and then if it's exterior, then I just use waterproof glue. Oh, see, you, you I like the new stuff better than the old urea glue. Why is that? <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah, I I like it. It mixes better. It spreads better. Doesn't smell as bad. <laughs> so that's yeah, low, low. And you should be wearing seat. a mask. Yeah, well, <laughs> the the but. urea resin glue I use, you have to, you know, it's got formaldehyde in it. So you definitely have right. to wear a mask while it's in powder form, but once it's mixed up, it, it, it doesn't need to be. But it does it doesn't have a, a strong smell at all. It doesn't have a smell, but yeah, you have to wear a mask while you're mixing yeah. it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you know, I just think the the rigid edge that the old Unibond used to give you was just so much sharper. I've like I've seen people like rub their hand against it or slip while filing that or cutting with a chisel and like they needed stitches. That's how sharp yeah. that glue was. It was so rigid. Yeah. And I just felt really much more comfortable with that adhesive than the newer version. Yeah. And then I'm not going to say, you know, I, 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 you know it, it's been recommended by people who know the product extremely well that mm -hmm. it's probably not the greatest anymore. There's, there's also uh, something you mentioned before too, Freddie. And I, 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 I've heard a couple people talk about it or they're putting a, you know, bent laminations or veneer in a bag using, you know, just a PVA glue or cold press veneer. And they said, well, I'm going to leave it in the bag for, you know, four hours or five hours. I've always been taught that's mm -hmm. absolutely the wrong thing to do because you have to have air for the glue to cure. So just keep it in yes. the bag for like 45 minutes to an hour and please take it out of the bag. 
you know, putting a couple tons of pressure on a panel for 45 minutes to an hour is plenty of time for that glue to tack up. It's not going to move, get it out of the bag and let the, you know, please let the glue cure. Um, See, I, I, I will leave it in the bag longer. I'll leave it overnight with yellow glue even. But if I take it out, I then give it that whole day to, to continue to dry. I won't yeah. expect it to work immediately afterwards because, yeah, it does need air to yeah. dry, and it's not drying in there. I know this isn't on the, uh, the structure sheet that was sent, but <laughs> tape. I was going to jump back to yeah, that. That's a good point. Do you guys – have you used blue tape? Or do you use veneer tape or do you just use masking tape? I'm going to go first with that and say mm -hmm. uh, I use veneer tape. I use it two ways. So I used to use strictly veneer tape. It's a royal pain to get off. So then I started doing blue tape, which doesn't always hold. Um, it, it would peel off sometimes in the middle of when I was stretching it. So what I started doing was veneer tape to go across the grain just to hold everything together, and then I'll blue tape over the length of it. And I like the blue tape better than masking tape because the blue tape will stretch. The green tape I've had issues with where it just doesn't as good. And then, yeah, uh, regular masking tape just doesn't stretch at all. It sticks well, but it doesn't yeah. stretch. And the blue tape, you get, I can get off easily. And I also use, when I take it out of the vacuum bag and I go to take the blue tape off, I'll take a hot uh, heat gun to it just to help it get off without lifting the veneers. Yeah, I, I, I've used blue tape a couple times. I'll use it on uh, shop sawn veneer, but like on the, the, the commercial 42nd of an inch veneer, mm -hmm. absolutely not. Because when I put that in the bag and I take it out, I can't get the damn tape off. Try a hot glue gun or a hot gun. I mean, air heat gun. I don't, I don't have okay. one. So, <laughs> uh, I'll try that, but when I, I won't, I just won't do it anymore because I've, I've, you know, pulled veneer up. I've, I, it, so have I. not necessarily yeah. pulls the veneer up. It, it pulls the fibers. Yes. Up. Yeah. Then you have, it. and I just, and it's a pain in the ass to get right. off. Mm -hmm. Um, you were mentioning that the veneer tape is, a pain to get off. I find it's easy to get off. It's time consuming. Yeah. That's why it's pain. You know, you have to make sure the panel is completely dry, you know, like a day or so. And I just spritz water on it, mm. let it sit for about 15, 20 seconds. And it just peels right up. The, the, the issue I found with that was, yes, it does come off easily that way, but dealing with that all over my fingers. And then I've had yeah. the issue of it, uh, bleeding into the the glue actually bleeding into the veneer and then i would see it i've never had that yeah. problem but i it, it is it's a messy long process taking it off yeah and that's why i, just don't I deal will with it. i will say that but um i would rather do that than have the the fibers ripped up or pulled off the veneer using blue right tape. which is why i then went to the heat gun method with it and it comes that's oh, the easiest right. Which then you're getting the advantage of the blue tape, too easy to work with and easily to get off. Yeah. So, yeah. What about you, Freddie? Well, when I was at school, we always used and it was recommended to use masking tape because you can really pull the masking tape, stretch it, and I and it still works for me. But the problem is they've changed the adhesive with the masking tape, so now you have to be extremely careful that the residue left from the masking tape doesn't come back mm -hmm. to bite you in the finish. So. 
I found a supplier in North Carolina that sells veneer tape and by far they're the best veneer tape. It has just enough tack on it, but it's not a pain in the butt to take off. Mm-hmm. And I use that mainly. And then if I need to with like shops on veneers, then I may end up using frog tape because it's really flexible and it's easy to peel off. It doesn't give me the issues that you guys have already explained. But the majority of the time is I use veneer tape and I buy them. I buy a case of it 20, 20 rolls at a time. So every three or four years I buy a new case. See, I, I didn't like the frog tape. I tried no. it. It didn't do anything for me. No. And then the yellow stuff, don't even waste your money on that. But Oh no, Dan, don't bother. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, I, I've noticed that masking tape doesn't stretch. In other words, it just pulls tight and then it breaks. Whereas the blue tape for me, you can actually yeah. stretch that stuff a little bit and then it'll pull the veneers together. Yeah. Which yeah, is if I'm doing shops on veneer, I'll I'll use that. Yeah. And that's that's the advantage of the veneer veneer tape. Um is because we, once you soak it a little bit, you know, and you pull it, stretch it out, as it shrinks, it helps draw in the yeah. veneer. Which is really which nice. Which is what I like that as well. It's just painting it off for me yes mm-hmm. i hate fighting it for that reason <laughs> it's a mess yeah it's a mess <sighs> all right anything else hmm i don't think so we could talk about this for hours but uh, i think we've covered everything on, and on we could talk about everything for hours guy <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. all right um so Any we tools, cons- yeah. new tools you guys are considering? Hmm. Yes. Uh, Give it to what us. do you got, guy? Man, I'd love to get a bunch of new tools. I don't have any money, though. <laughs> um, I, I really want to replace my 8-inch joiner and my planer with a combo machine. Oh, boy. Mainly because of the footprint mm-hmm. in my shop. Are you going to do um, it? I'd like to. I, I, I'd really want the hammer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Bring down the hammer. It's so expensive. I know a couple people that have them. Mm-hmm. And I saw one uh, last weekend at the work, Woodworker Show. Um, Chuck Bender had one in his booth. Yep. And I got to see one up close. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really nice. That's really nice, but it's like four grand for that thing. Mm-hmm. It's just so pricey. Well, I'm probably gonna probably gonna end up with the jet model. You know, honestly, four grand um, for if you bought old equipment, if you had to buy a decent sized joiner and a decent sized planer, four grand is pretty cheap. I, I realize that. I just don't want to have. I'd really want a twelve inch joiner, mm-hmm. and I just I just don't have the room in my shop. Yeah. I don't have room in shop for my eight inch joiner, my 13 inch planer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it would just be nice to have the wider joiner and just have that one footprint. Yeah. So I'm probably going to end up with the jet, which I've heard, you know, it depends on who you talk to. Um, some of the people that have bought the newer models where I think they've corrected a lot of the issues that some of the people that have had them for years, um, so I feel pretty confident with it, but you know, unfortunately, I, I can't go see one. Mm. And I really would like to do that, but uh, the woodcraft around here that's had what one. I'm considering. Okay, did they? Yeah, they did. So I wonder yeah, if you're here. 
I didn't know if there was a wood trip. If there was a woodcraft near you, that possibly has one. Yeah, there's a woodcraft and a rockler both ten minutes from my house. Neither one of them have it. You know, I, I think it's floor. I think it's time for Hammer to become a sponsor. You know, for you guys. <laughs> I really yeah. Well, they're they're I I tried talking to them just to see if I could get any kind of discount at all or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nah, they're yeah. just having they were having none of it. Mm-hmm. None of it. You know, so is there a loss? What about you, Freddie? So I, what are you I, considering? I, I have a tool that I'll, I'm considering and I'll never end up getting it. And the reason why I'm considering it is because Mr. Jimmy DeResta has gotten a CNC in his shop. And I've seen his productivity, like I feel like tripled, quadrupled yeah. on what he can do. And here I am saying to myself, CNC is not real woodworking, you know, that kind of mentality. And then you look at it and it's just like, that CNC is so damn awesome. You know how much more money I would make, how much more efficient I would be. I'd be making cabinetry. I would be making signs. I would be making crazy amount of stuff. And it's just like, I, now I want one. Like, I really want one. But I'll never get how it. Big of a, how, big of a, how big of a CNC does he have? He got a 4 by 10 or 4 by 8 Yeah, so I think it's a big, yeah, big one. one. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Like, wow, I want it. It could do all the act. Guy, how big is yours? Mine will do 17 by 33 mm-hmm. <laughs> inches, okay. not feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, think, I think a little 4 by 4 would be even useful. Yeah, so mine is an inexpensive hobbyist one. And, and the yeah. main reason I have it is not to make things with. I cut patterns with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. for that, it's perfect. Yep. That's yeah. everything I needed to do. You know, a 4 by 8 you know, it has a cap capability of cutting 4 by 8 Man, I would be dreamy right now. It just, you know, as yeah. as a as a person getting into the business, as you get older, as you think about productivity, as you can, as you think about competition for kitchen cabinets or built-ins, how can I speed things up? And how I used to do in the beginning, I used to take advantage of other shops that had CNC, give them my cut list. I assemble, I make the face frames, I have a guy install, I have a guy come in and paint, I'm done. So it was really efficient. And I'm just thinking like, imagine just having a CNC. I would have someone working third shift, first shift on it, and I'd be like, just cut parts, like go cut parts. Yeah, if you're, yeah. if, you're a ca- if you're a cabinet maker making kitchen kitchen cabinets, mm-hmm. just being able to throw a sheet of four by eight plywood in there and just have it cut the parts for yes. you mm-hmm. with that kind of accuracy, it's it, it would be such a huge time. Saving. And there's less waste yeah. factor yeah. as well because it can it could sequence yeah. the parts for you. It's just, oh. So. What about you, Justin? I'm considering buying another uh, drum sander. I have the DeWalt open-ended mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. and I'm just keep having issues You mean with Delta it. one? I'm DeWalt ready. or Delta? The, I'm sorry, yeah, Delta, not the DeWalt, yeah, Delta. Yeah. And, I haven't heard many good things about that model. Yeah, well, I, I've, I am considering the Jet versions, like the 2244s but mm-hmm. then again i'm kind of considering the grizzly or the shop fox dual drum one i'm not sure I, i've gotten the grizzly one and mm-hmm. i wouldn't i wouldn't drop down to a shop fox on this particular piece but the grizzly small time savers you know that has like a flat pattern platen that they can insert or use i know a few guys that that has like a 24 inch version of those oh my god they're beautiful you can dial them 
the, you're talking about you're talking about a drum or a belt like a time like a, a time drum. saver like they have a miniature yeah i can't run you one. can't run a small one i don't think uh for the price yeah. of it and what i'd be using it for i don't think okay. i need that it, yeah and then i could run it but it's like that's borderline with the size of the motors and everything okay. And really, all I need it for is just to feed through things through now. Like I said, I I have a system that kind of works with my little one mm -hmm. that I have now. It's just I keep running into issues well, with I, that. I've gotten just, the Grizzly. I have the Grizzly dual drum, and that with a couple mm -hmm. modifications that I did, it's really great. It does. Yeah, I've got a a, a Supermax nineteen thirty eight open mm -hmm. drum, mm -hmm. and it's really nice. I wish I would have had the room for a a larger one. Mm -hmm with a dual drum that way, you know, you can put, you know, 120 in one drum, 150, 180 in the other drum. Yeah. Whatever. And, and like I've, and just I've mentioned it. before, I'd like to try, I'd like to really see that, uh, the jet 2244 with the oscillating just to see if it makes any mm, difference. Yeah. But, uh, um, I don't know. I, I like the open end just because it's open ended. Mm -hmm but I don't think I've really ever run anything through the machine that's bigger than what you have there, uh, Freddie, the 25 inches or whatever yeah. they do. So I don't know. That's it. That's what I'm playing with the idea awesome. of that. And then trying to sell my, my Delta one. <laughs> who knows who wants no. to buy that, but. There's a sucker around every corner. There's somebody out there. <laughs> There's somebody out there who will yeah. buy it. Yeah. All right. Uh, is there anybody we want to give a shout out to videos we're watching or people to follow? I'm watching. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Guy. Uh, I'm sorry. Go, no, please. Guy. It's your turn. Go. Uh, there's a, there's a gentleman on YouTube. His name is Chris. I don't know what his last name is, but his channel is called third coast craftsman. Mm -hmm. He uses a lot of hand tools. He uses, does a lot of, you know, through mortise and tenon stuff. He's, really really good hmm. um so check him out he does like i said does does really nice work very impressive so justin go ahead i am gonna throw out another podcast are you really uh modern craftsman yeah modern craftsman podcast yeah that is a really really good podcast those guys with their they're trying to push over there is it's it's worth listening to it's inspirational in a way, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. I don't know about what you, what what Nick, Johnny, and just, uh, Tyler bring in. You know those three guys. Yeah. It's just like pretty incredible stuff. It's just like they make you yeah. want to drool into home building. They're, yeah. They're they're raising the bar, but they want everybody mm -hmm. to come with them, which yeah. is that's that's the thing. It's it's good. It's really good. It it's 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 kind of funny with me because it's like when I first got into this field, I I wanted to be a builder. I wanted to be a finished carpenter. That's really what I wanted to be. And deep down, you know, doing period homes or period renovations of period homes, that's still deep down in the roots. It's just like you know, I didn't want to deal with getting permits and dealing with that market, and I didn't wasn't really educated in it. But there's a newfound like love for homes and architectural work and finished carpentry like it's like all i care about more now than anything else and i'm not sure why so it's one of those things that i'm willing to dive into a little bit more of restoring that kind of stuff because there's a big demand for it and i keep getting phone calls for it 
So online on like YouTube, there's a guy named Finnish Carpentry TV. There's just this guy that he just has some great tips and he has some great tooling that he has that I'd never heard of that just even in furniture making mm-hmm. w- works like a dream. Like I put a protractor recently on my Instagram. I learned it from this Finnish Carpentry guy. It's like a game changer. It's like makes everything easy for me. Yeah. And what the tips that he recommends and his approach is really easy and it's just really wow factor. So I'm going finish carpentry TV besides Jimmy this week. That's it. All good stuff. Yeah, all good stuff. All good recommendations. So. All right. Guy, where can everybody find you at? Uh, guyswoodshop.com. From there, you can get to my uh, Instagram feed and my lovely YouTube channel. Ready? Uh, you can find me at the period craftsman. Uh, dot com. It's crafts with an S and M or men with an E. You can find me at uh, JD Fine Woodworking at gmail.com or on Instagram, which is Justin underscore De Palma. You can find all of us at the ATG podcast.com or email at the ATG podcast at gmail.com. So. All right. All right, guys. Uh, Freddie, Guy, later. Till the next one. I'll talk to you. All right, see, see you later. Do you see my green lines? Yes, I see my green lines.